All right, you guys can grab a seat. So I know this room looks a little different. If this is your first time, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, typically, we meet in the gym, but they're redoing the gym floor, so uh, they've put us in here. One of the things that we really like and value is uh, on Sundays we meet around round tables um, because this isn't just a like you sit here lecture kind of style but but we're really trying to grow as a family grow as a community and an easy way to do that is sit around tables Um, but today you've got rows so I apologize Uh, if you have your Bibles turn with me to Luke is where we're going to be if you don't have a Bible there should be one somewhere at the end of your row Uh, we just want you to have a Bible if you don't own one please take that that's uh, we want to give it to you. Um, Because one of the big things we want to do is always open the scriptures and make sure, like, this is not my words. This is coming straight from the Bible. Um, So as we're turning there, Luke chapter 12, just a real quick question. What is the greatest fear that you've ever conquered? What is the greatest fear that you've ever conquered? Or what is a fear right now that you're trying to conquer, that you're working really hard to to conquer? What is the greatest fear? Where, where have you like thought you were wearing a Superman cape and then actually cried like a little girl? Where was that instance? I think when I was thinking through this and getting ready for the sermon, uh, it took me back to the time when I was in first grade. Here comes story time. You can put your Bibles away. We're, we're going to pass out some blankets and we're just going to have a good little story time. We were down at our hunting cabin. We were hunting. My dad was in the woods. Um, my brother and I were sitting in the cabin and um, we had brought our dog, his name's Duke, brought Duke down there. He had a, a little dog house that he got to sleep in, but he slept outside. So my dad and everyone was in the woods. My brother and I were fending for ourselves, and we heard what we in our minds decided was a pack of rabid coyotes outside attacking Duke. That was what was taking place. Um, so first grade me, I scrummed around through everybody's stuff, find a machete. Um, that's safe for a first grader to find. So I got a machete. I think my brother got his BB gun and we stood at the door and counted to three, like 30 times. You know what I'm talking about? Like one, two, three, go. Bro, you didn't go. One, two. So we kept doing it. We kicked out. I mean, like in my mind, I have like Chuck Norris in going on. It really wasn't that case. We probably were standing in puddles of our own, uh, you know. And so <clears throat> finally kicked open the door and it was Duke dragging around his doghouse. That's all that was taking place. We thought this rabid coyotes were attacking. No, he was just having fun. He would uh, chain him to the doghouse, and he was just dragging it around. So that was one, in, like, one of my defining moments of something that I was fearful of, but I had a machete. I was ready to go. Um, and one of the things I love to watch, have you ever watched scare cams on YouTube? Okay, you should go home and watch scare cams. Here's the best part about, so all it is is just videos of people getting scared to death. I love it. Um, My favorite ones, though, are the tough macho men that pretend to, like, I've got everything figured out. Have y'all seen uh, where Dabo, the coach for Clemson, got scared? You should watch this one. So here's, like, this incredible football coach, awesome. His players scared the mess out of him. So in an instant, he turns from this tough macho guy to a little girl that literally screams like a little girl. And so in that moment, you're watching someone that is supposed to be tough and brave and uh, respectable scream like a little girl. And everything changes in that moment. And so what's taking place is he's actually proven to be a hypocrite. So I'm supposed to be tough. I'm supposed to be brave. I'm supposed to be strong. And that just scared the mess out of me. So maybe I'm not tough. Maybe I'm not brave. Maybe I'm not strong. 85% of non-believers think that Christians are hypocrites. Do you guys know that? 85%. So if you're not a believer in this room, if you're kind of wrestling with the idea, 
um, this is perfect for you because you get to hear us confess our sin of hypocrisy. 85%. So what we're going to try to see through the text this morning is, is it true? Where, where does hypocrisy come from? Because the tendency is to say, okay, well, I'm going to quit being a hypocrite. Just stop it. But that doesn't work well for any of us. So um, Luke chapter 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Luke 12, 1 through 7. I'll read through it in its entirety, and then we'll start teaching through it, and then we'll be done. Luke 12, 1 through 7. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another, and he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill a body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Verse 7, why even are the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So we've got this idea from the text. And and if you read the last part of verse 11, um, the Pharisees were just planning to murder Jesus. So that's the environment that we're in. The Pharisees were so frustrated, the religious leaders of the day, were so frustrated with the popularity that Jesus was gaining um, that they were trying to plot to kill him, to get him out of the picture and his disciples. And then you flip right over to verse 1. In the meantime, there are thousands of people now, thousands, biblically, they were just counting men. So this is upwards of 10,000 people that were trying to get to Jesus, that were trying to get around him. That majority just wanted healed. They didn't really want Jesus. They just wanted what Jesus could offer. But 10,000 people coming around, so much so that, I mean, there's trampling getting, they're taking place. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside pulls the believer's side, and and his tone is really important here. He's not condescending. uh, He's not rude. He's not arrogant. He's not sarcastic. He's very loving. He calls them my friends. Listen to me, my friends. What you're feeling here is fear. And there's two kinds of fear taking place. There's the fear of man that you're afraid that these men might come kill us. And there's the fear of man that you cannot please this crowd. And it's something that we all wrestle with at some point. We all fear man. If you don't, you're a liar. Just being honest. We all have this fear. And what we fear is that we want to be liked or we don't want to be disliked. So we are constantly compromising. We're constantly doing different things to keep people that like us to continue to like us. Or we're doing things. We're changing our circumstances. We're changing our actions so that people who don't like us would start to like us. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, listen, listen. You need to focus on what's happening inside your soul. There's people that want to kill us, and there's people that are making too big of a deal about us. And what's going on in your heart right now? And so let's keep going. That was verse uh, 1. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So this fear that wells up inside of us when we're trying to please people, we're trying to um, keep people not mad at us, to keep people to like us, produces hypocrisy. So in these moments, in these small moments, we start to change things. We start to compromise things. Um, hypocr- or hypocrite in the Greek means actor, one who plays the part. 
So we start to, out of fear, turn into an actor. We start to try to play the part. And as Christians, if the world around us is right, 85% of us at some level are trying to play the part of what it looks like to be a good Christian. What does it look like to follow the rules, to lift my hands when I'm supposed to, to tell everybody, oh, I'm doing great, I'm so blessed, I'm incredible, things are so great. If you walk around the Christian circle and you're not great, you don't feel like you fit in, do you? Because everyone's talking about how great things are and, oh, pastor, I spend 12 hours a day reading this thing. It's incredible. No, you don't. Come on. 12 hours a day, really? So we start looking at Jesus, pulls him aside and says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, in, in anyone bake bread? Anyone a bread baker? Anyone hot? Sidebar? Okay. I'm going to keep preaching. Y'all just follow along. So we have one bed, bread baker. That's a fun one to say. Am I of feedback? Okay. Uh, so we have one bread baker in here. Let's see what happens. So leaven causes bread to rise, right? So uh, if you don't have leaven, you have pita bread. You have flat bread. There's nothing to it. So just a little bit of leaven causes things to get puffed up. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, uh, the Pharisees are not hypocrites because they're constantly trying to do things. It's just a little decision. It's a little choice here and there sprinkled into their life that starts to make them puffed up, that starts to make it grow. So when we start talking about the idea of fear leading to hypocrisy, I'm not saying that it's going to be some drastic thing, some life-altering moment where you remember forever the point you became a hypocrite. What I'm saying is it's going to come a lot smaller. The details, or the devil's in the details. It's going to be a small, little, insignificant decision that's going to start the train of hypocrisy. And how we can spot it is because we're making this decision out of fear. So when the fear welling up in us, when we feel afraid of man for liking us or not liking us, pay close attention to your heart at those moments because something might be stirring up. Proverbs 25 says this, the, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man. So everything, all hypocrisy starts with fear and the fear starts with the fear of man. So we have to slow down. We have to stop to see, um, even though the imagery doesn't make sense because we only have one bread baker out of, I don't know how many people were in here. We have to stop to remember what he's talking about, that it's just a little bit of leaven that will start us to be puffed up and will start this hypocrisy. Pick it up in verse two. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed to the rooftops. So the Pharisees were infamous in having all of their meetings inside these inner rooms. So if you picture a house, um, right, right now, they would not, uh, the Pharisees would never meet in a room like this because people could be sitting outside the wall and listen to them. So they would have all their meetings in like where the children's are. So no matter where you are in relative to the building, you cannot hear what's being said. And Jesus is going, listen, there will come a day where everything will be brought to light. Every secret that you have, every conversation that you've had in the small rooms you whispered will be put out into the rooftop. Now, now any other discerners in here? Like discernment is just what you're good at, that you can just tell when people are lying to you, when they're deceiving you, when they're just kind of playing the part. Anyone else good at that? That is my spiritual gift. I love it. It's fun. Discerning is a good thing to have, I think. Uh, but do you know who always knows there's a hypocrite in the room? Themselves. 
So I don't have to spend the next 30 minutes convincing you that you're acting or pretending about something you already know. That there's something inside of you, even though in all my discerningness, yes, I had nest the words, that's what I do. In all my discerningness, there's some things that I'm not going to pick up on. But right now, you know, we all know if we're following Christ, where we're pretending, where we're acting. And we're doing this out of fear that a lot of us have grown up in the traditional church where um, don't let anyone see you sweat, don't talk about your sins, don't talk about your struggles. That's not what Christians do. And what we're going to see here in the rest of the text is that's exactly what we do. Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, if you underline, if you circle, if you highlight, highlight that, that Jesus is calling his disciples his friends. So this is not an angry text. This is a plea to them to quit living out of fear. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after they have done that, they can do nothing more. But I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear whom who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So when we start to think, and I know that it's hard, especially for some of you millennial college kids, um, not knocking on you, it's just the truth. Um, you have no framework for thinking outside of your current situation. We have no framework for thinking into the future. We have no idea. We have nothing to expect. All that you're worried about right now is your test that's coming up this week that really has no bearings on the rest of your life. Fail it and see what happens. Anyone want to take that? And then you can just write a letter to your teacher. Hey, professor, my pastor told me to fail this test. Seriously, at the end of the day, no one cares what your GPA is. You know how many times I've graduated college and someone's asked me what my GPA was? None. That's why I became a pastor, because my GPA was horrible. It's the only job I could get, right? So seriously, we just have no framework. We have no mindset for where are we going? What is the next step? And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, what can these men do to you? Like, even if they were to destroy you, even if they were to murder you, what's next? They have real no power, they have no authority, so be careful, church, of who we fear. Be careful of what we are concerned about and what we think about. The friends that you have right now that you worried so much about their opinion of you, you won't talk to in five years. The people right now that the fear of man is controlling you, that man might not be your friend in a year or two. So we're so worried about pleasing the people around us when people move, people go away. What are we fearing? What is our mindset actually focusing on. Now, I know if you're in your here and you think, okay, wait, wait, you're telling me to fear Jesus, like fear God, the one that's supposed to love me, the one that just called me my friends, I'm supposed to fear him. That's a good question. Psalm 111.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praises endures forever. So fear looks more like, um, when you're afraid of something, aren't you looking for that everywhere? So there's been a few times where we've came home and our door has been open or the garage door has been open, uh, and I want to blame it on the kids, but it's really just me getting in a hurry and forgetting to close it. So what I'm afraid of is someone is in our house. So I will very quickly grab something, um, and I will clear the house like I'm an FBI agent. And so because of that fear, I'm looking for what I'm afraid of, which is the robber. So fear means that you're looking for that thing everywhere you go. Every room, every closet, every bed, I'm looking for what I'm afraid of. 
And so what the scripture is saying is that the beginning of wisdom is looking for God in everything, in every situation, in every circumstance, everywhere we go, are we looking for God in that moment? That is what it looks like to fear him. Fear God. Verse six. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Now in that day, a sparrow would go for, uh, two sparrows would go for a penny. So that's like literally buy two, get one free is what's taking place. So what he's trying to convey is the sparrows are worth nothing. Aren't they sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Fear God, but fear not. That is what it looks like to follow Christ. We look for him in everything, but we have a comfort that he's our father, that he's our protector, that his opinion of us is the only one that matters that our identity is set completely in him. So fear of man always leads to hypocrisy, but fear of God, knowing that we're his sons, knowing we're his daughters, always leads to a wise life. So, so what does this really start to look like? Now that we've kind of understood the text, uh, I think there's a couple things we have to understand. Um, if you are a Christian, you're a hypocrite. Can I just be blunt? Because all of us at some level fear man. That we want to be approved by men, that we want people to like us, that we're going to do whatever we can, or we always think that everyone in the room doesn't like us, so we're trying to do things to make people like us. We all, at some level, fear men. We all want to be liked. And at some level, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to want your friends to say good things about you. I don't think it's a bad thing to, to worry about that. But when that turns into a fear that weighs more in your mind than what God says about you, that's where hypocrisy starts to come in. Now, I'm not saying every single part of your life you're a hypocrite. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that you're worthless, that you're 100% hypocrite, leave the church, bye, have a good day. It's not what I'm saying. But I know as I'm talking, because it happened to me as I'm writing this sermon, God is quickly going, yeah, here's where you're a hypocrite. Here's where you care more about what men say about you than what I say about you. It's God is already revealing that to you. So what would it look like then for us to have no fear of man and only a fear for God? What would our life start to look like if we honestly got to this point where fear of man was nothing for us, that we only feared and respected God and lived the life that he's called us to be? What would it look like if we really started to understand that he called us his friend, that the only approval that we ever need is from God and we have it? So what is man, what is man gonna do to me? What would our lives start to look like. I, th I think the first one would be this, that we'd really boast in our weakness. So Paul talks about in Corinthians that he's going to boast all the more in his weakness because when I boast in my weakness, then that makes Christ strong. So we're going to talk about where we fall short. We're going to talk about where we're struggling, where we're falling short, where we're not hitting the market. It's something that we're going to naturally talk about. Does the church do this well? We always try to lead with our best foot forward. My desire, I mean, as I'm going through this, I'm praying constantly for our church as I was writing the sermon because I want us to be this church. That when people walk in this door for the first time and when they come to our house for the first time, the first thing they experience isn't some kind of swagger, isn't, man, these people were incredible, but oh my gosh, these people were jacked up. I just met this guy and he's already telling me all of his sins. What, what is this place that we would lead with our weakness because we understand that who we are? If you are fully loved and fully accepted by God, 
then I, I don't really care if I confess my struggles to you. What is your opinion of me going to do? If my God says, this is my son, I died for him, I've made him a new creation, throw all you got at me. Because I'm confident in that. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. That we would boast in our weakness, that we would naturally talk about it. And there's this little twinge in your belly right now where you go, oh, that would kind of be cool. Now, it's going to be difficult to act on this because as long as we've been alive for 20 or 80 years, we've got a gamut in here. That's gamut, G, gamut. As long as we've been alive, we've always been coached, we've always been raised up to don't tell people your struggles. But there's this feeling and go, oh my gosh, if I could just, if I didn't have to bear this alone, if I could actually talk about my struggles and my weakness and people didn't judge me or condemn me or throw me under the bus, or gossip about me, wouldn't this be great? This would probably look like we would apologize a lot more too because we know when we're wrong. Now, I I know not many of you are pastors and communicators. Uh, Here's the funny thing about preaching, and it's not really funny and I don't really like it. Um, A lot of times when I'm preparing a sermon, God says, okay, I'm gonna test you in this. Do you know how many stinking times I had to apologize this week? That would be a great number. <laughs> Seriously, and I'm not lying. Some of you were in this room that I had to text and say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have reacted that way. Hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said this. I mean, even this morning, Dylan sent me a text. I'm like, yes, I'm sorry. That was my fault. But if we understand our identity, if we're boasting our weakness, then we're quick to apologize. That we already know that there's things that we're working on that God is growing us in. So we're just quick to apologize. I think the other part, if we're looking at what it would look like for us to really not fear man but only follow God, that we wouldn't be surprised by other people's sin. That we wouldn't be surprised by other people's sin. That when people talked to us, when people opened up to us, when we saw sin in public, we go, yeah, I understand that. I, I totally get that. That might not be my struggle, but I have my struggles too, so I understand that struggle. One of my favorite quotes by a guy named John Weiss in his book, Jesus Prom, said this, that we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people in our weaknesses. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people in our weaknesses. So what does it look like for us to really connect, for us to really be a community? Man, lead with your worst foot. Talk about, and, and listen, Christians, I'm talking to you. Church leaders in this room, I'm talking to you. That there's people in this room, this is their first, second, third time, they're just feeling out this community. They're trying to learn what this community is about. What I want them to experience is this. But church, we have to lead with this. That we lead with, we're not surprised by sin. When people open up to us, um, we're like, yeah, I get it. Let's talk through this. Let's work through this. I understand. You, you, You know you're not condemned to hell for that, right? You know that your life isn't over because of this one or two decisions that you made, Right? You know that we're all struggling with something, right? We're all in this together. And here's what that starts to illuminate. Uh, One of the, and I can say this, I think, because I, I love the church, and obviously if I didn't love the church, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But one of the biggest black eyes the church has is gossip. That what if we actually brought things up, and then that spread around? 
Like, what if I, if I actually talked about my struggles and then I hear someone at the water cooler laughing about it? Water cooler? Who has a water cooler? Right? I mean, that's one of the biggest black eyes that the church has. Here, here just please hear me. I'm one of five elders here, all the elders in, in the room. If we hear that stuff, we're going to stop it immediately. That is, if we're fighting for this culture, if we're fighting for um, growing in this area, fearing God, not men, and growing in real, authentic community like Jesus asked us to do, one of the things the elders will promise you, we will not allow that stuff to take place. That this is a safe place to walk in vulnerability. But with that, uh, the next thing I think we would see is we would push each other to be honest about our sins. Uh, So a couple, it was over the summer, Bree and I went to Asheville. Has anyone been to Asheville? Okay, there's this incredible place called the Buckhouse Inn. It's about 30 minutes north of Asheville, bed and breakfast. I was really hesitant to stay in a bed and breakfast because the idea is just uh, creepy. For, uh, like, it's, just, it's just a weird place. I'm going to go sleep in someone else's house. They didn't have TV. It, it was just weird. Um, so got there. Uh, the people, as soon as we got there, the people were just people of peace. They loved us. They were encouraging. They were believers. It was, just, it was actually a really good time. So we came home. Uh, I think the best part was we didn't have any of our kids there, which was incredible. Uh, I love our kids, but geez louise. Uh, so we came home and just had this new level of freedom. We were just like on cloud nine, everything was great. We had been released from all of our struggles and anxieties and fears, and we just got to get away. And when we came home, we talked about that freedom to everyone. You've got to go to this place. We bought two coffee mugs. I spent more money on coffee mugs than any human being should ever spend on coffee mugs because I was so in love with this place, the Buckhouse Inn. You should go. But when we experience freedom, don't we talk about freedom? When we experience this uh, newness coming out, don't we want to talk about it? Don't we want to push other people to it? So when we experience freedom of talking freely about our sin and watching God use that and change that in us, then we're going to push others to do that as well. We're going to push others to say, listen, you're you're harboring the sin and you're harboring the struggles. And just talk about it because there's a level of freedom there that you can't experience anywhere else. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 puts it this way. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So is the Spirit of the Lord active when we're talking about our shortcomings and our failures? Yes, that is where freedom is found. So some of us are walking around with distress and anxiety because we feel like we can't talk to anyone about our struggles. I'm telling you, the moment you start to, there's going to be a level of freedom that you never felt before. But we've got to push. We've got to press into people. If you see sin in one of your friend's life, tell them. Don't tell everyone else. Tell them. Don't come to me and say, Pastor, you need to have this conversation. Go to them. Say, I love you enough. And if you see something in me, please tell me. But, but here's something I see in you, and I think, you're going, I th- I think it's going to lead to destruction. Can we, can we talk about this? Those conversations might be hard, but what's going to be harder is if 10 years down the road, you've gone down a path you didn't want to, and you run into that friend, and they go, yeah, man, I saw that. Uh, the, one of the churches I was on staff at before I came out here, we all saw an affair start. We all saw conversations linger. We all saw what was taking place, a guy and a girl hanging out way too much that were not married hanging out in the parking lot after everyone left. And I vividly remember after they fell, 
we're sitting around in our staff meeting and to the man, every single one of us goes, yeah, we saw it. We, we saw this coming. We, sh- we should have spoken up. Because now their, their marriages are over. Who knows what's going to happen to the kids in those marriages? We should have spoken up. We should have said something. Now, God, by God's grace, everything in those God reconciled both marriages, things are great. But one of the most gut-wrenching moments in my life was sitting in that office going, man, we all saw it. We said nothing. We all were fear of man, not of God. Now listen, if we really model this, church, if we live this out, uh, we're going to be untouchable to the world. What is the world going to bring against us? What charge is the world going to bring against us? Hypocrisy would be out the window. Before someone, I mean, think about this, and this has all happened to some of us. Um, Anybody uh, confrontation averse, you just hate confrontations? Okay, so the moment that you finally get the confidence that you know what you're going to say, you've planned out the script in your head, you finally go to confront someone and say, I've got something to talk to you about, and they go, hey, before you start, listen, uh, I messed up here, and I, I know that this is probably why you're here. Uh, just let me hear you. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I should not have done that. Thanks for that, but let me yell at you because I've been practicing this for a long time, right? Like That's the feeling that we have. Because we've worked on the script and we did not expect that coming. And what if the church, what if Delonica comes to us and says, the branch, you guys are hypocrites. And before they even finish that, we say, hey, listen, listen, we, we, here's the thing that we know. We know we're really young and therefore we make some really bad decisions sometimes. We know that we should be living this way and we're just not, we're trying. So don't hear us say that we're perfect, but hear us say that we're trying to follow God with the best we have. We'd be untouchable. What charge could the world bring against us if we operate in that manner? if we truly walk in this humility of, we're not perfect, we're, not, we're just trying to do this thing right. We're going to screw up a lot. We would be untouchable to the world. And I think the last thing is that we would draw the world to us. I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of a community that operates in this manner? I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of a family where your greatest sins, your greatest struggles, your greatest doubts, and your greatest fears, you have a safe place to talk about them? Now, internal processors, where are you at? I know this is a struggle for you. I, I get it. I understand that you don't talk about your struggles to anyone. External processors, uh, we talk to the wall. Genuinely, sometimes just talking out loud helps us. But in general, if we were able to create this authentic community that Jesus is talking about, I think it would be contagious to everyone around us. I think it would be something that, that people would want to be a part of, that, that there's no leaven of hypocrisy in our hearts. We don't fear man, we only fear God, and we're trying to do this his way. So come with us. Come join with us. We're, we're not, wherever you are, wherever your sins, wherever your struggles, wherever your doubts. But I mean, I constantly say to people I'm meeting with, if, you're, if there's something in Scripture that you're not wrestling with and you're not doubting, you're probably reading it wrong. There's something in Christianity that you're not wrestling with, that you're not doubting, that you're not re- like dreaming, like, is this really true? We're probably not studying. There's a lot in this book that we just have to figure out. We just have to wrestle with. There's a lot of hard truths here. And it's not okay. You're not going to be okay wrestling with this on your own. We've got to come into a community. So here's just a couple things as we close. Um, one of the things that Carlton's back there. 
say hey, Carlton. Uh, so this guy is our missional community DNA pastor. And so starting up in January, we're going to have these things called DNA groups. Uh, and basically, DNA stands for Discover, Nurture, Act. One of the big parts, is see the three guys or three girls, they're not um, cross gender, thank you. <laughs> they're separate in that so that you can actually talk about what you're feeling and what you're struggling with. So you can actually be real and vulnerable. And, and the big part of the nurture is confessing and nurturing each other's sins. It's a safe place to get around a table, a small group of table, and just talk about struggles and talk about life. And, and for some of you, this is going to come really, really easy. For some of you, it's going to take a year to finally open up. But by getting involved in one of these through our missional communities, we're going to keep pressing in, keep asking questions, not because we want to hear the juiciest gossip. And if that's your motive, stop it. What we're pressing in is so that you would have a freedom in Christ, so that you would understand when Jesus says, you're my friend, he means it. When Jesus is saying, hey, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, I will give you rest. Come here. I think this is what the church should look like. But also, it's not, it should not be exclusive to just a once-a-week gathering. This should be something, this should be our ethos. This should be what we breathe. We walk into rooms and we walk into environments. We should be looking for those that are broken, looking for those that are hurting, looking for those, and we should connect with them, not on our strengths, but on our weaknesses. We should seek out those people first. One of the touching things as we read through Luke and as we study through Luke, Luke, or Jesus always gravitated to those that were outcasts, those who were forgotten about, those who had real struggles that the church couldn't deal with at the day, Right? That's who Jesus gravitated towards. Now, I know our nature is not. We want to gravitate to the important, to the powerful, to the rich. But what would it look like for us as a church to really gravitate to those that need Jesus? Now, now here's the last part, and we'll end with this. If hypocrite is our name, where are you acting? Christians. If hypocrite is our name, if 85% of us in this room are hypocritical about something, where is it? Where are we acting? Where are we pretending? What conversations are we making up in a room full of Christians to make ourselves feel better? What questions are we avoiding because if we actually talked about this one area, everyone would see that we're full of it? What is it that we're hiding from the church what is it that we're hiding from those around us? What is it that we're hiding from our community? This is not an easy process. Please hear me say this. People all the time will come up to me and say, man, I don't see how you can be so honest up there. We all have a level of vulnerability where it stops. My uh, filter goes a little farther than most, but there's still things I don't want you to know. There's still times where I struggle with self-control. There's still weeks, weeks, church, weeks. I'm, I get paid to do this, and there are weeks that I don't read this thing other than to get ready for sermons. There are times that you would be embarrassed. I would be fired if you saw how I reacted to my kids or my wife sometimes. There's times where I doubt God's goodness and his grace for me and for you. There's sometimes that I wonder if, if we're even, if we're just making this thing up, if I just, just keep pretending because I'm getting paid here, and if I was really honest about what I'm struggling, what I'm wrestling with, then would I even have a job anymore? One of the most hardest things for me psychologically is letting Jay move into our basement because we have thin floors and he can hear everything. 
Is he still going to respect? Is he still going to come to the church when he lives with me and sees and hears everything that takes place upstairs? If there wasn't for a small group of guys that I could tell this to, I wouldn't be here. If there wasn't guys that pushed me to Scripture constantly and says, hey, I know what you're struggling with. I can see it on your face. Do you know what God says about you, though? Do you know that that does not disqualify you for being a Christian? Do you know that? Do you understand Scripture? Do you know what he says about you? He calls you his friend. And friends don't lie. Yes, that was Stranger Things. There you go. I did not plan that. That just, yeah. That's what happens when you binge watch Stranger Things in a week, okay? That was really good, though. Someone should write that down. So, so that's my dream. When I study this text, and when I get to the point of what Jesus is asking us to do, I think that would be one of the greatest wins of this church community. If someone comes from death to life that was not a follower of Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus because of this church and their compliment was, man, you guys were just real and honest and loved each other no matter what. I think that would be one of the greatest, or greatest remembrances of the gospel for us. So if you're a church leader in this room, we've got to start being more honest. We've got to start being more real. We've got to start being honest about our struggles and what we're doubting and what we're thinking through. If you're a new believer in this room, I'm sorry if that's not what you signed up for. I'm sorry if you thought that Christianity was just keep everything in, this very big churchy, like just don't let anyone see you sweat, just you're fine, just don't say anything about your struggles, just uh, raise your hand when you're supposed to, and if someone calls on you, pray, and if you don't want to pray, just squeeze their hands, so they'll go around you. Like that's what I said, that's the Christianity I wanted, not being honest about our struggles. And if you're not a believer in this room, please, please hear me, come to lunch with me and I'll tell you all my stuff. Go hang out with any of us. Go to one of the three missional communities we have, and in that meeting, you will hear us struggling and doubting and confessing sin to one another. Talking about where we fell short this week where we don't understand the scriptures to be true because we don't have it figured out. But we're not going to fear man. We're only going to fear God. So let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for making things that are temporary, like friendships and people around us, feel like they're eternal? God, that we're so worried about being liked or we're so worried about um, people not liking us that, that we compromise, that we make decisions based on that. Father, that is a conditional way to see and understand love, but, but the way you love us is unconditional. The way that you pursue us is you love us no matter what. No matter what sins, no matter what struggles, no matter what doubts we have, you pursue us. You're following after us. You're wooing us to yourself. And so, Father, would you forgive me for acting and pretending like I've got it all figured out. God, would you forgive the church for walking in a manner that we don't need you, that we are good, that we've got it taken care of, that we've got every mystery of the scriptures figured out perfectly well. God, that we know your nature and character perfectly at 30 that we have no more room to grow, we have no more experiences to be had, 
but we've got it all figured out. Father, would you forgive us of that ridiculousness? God, I know that there's people in this room that are hurt and wounded by the church because of our pretending. That they've seen men and women over their life that they respected and that they loved that were supposed to be great men and women of God turn on them in a heartbeat because they were living these double lives. God, would we not be actors in this room, Father? Would we be true and sincere about what we're trying to do and that's to follow you? So every shortcoming and everywhere we fall, Father, would we be quick to repent of that? Would we be quick to confess that? God, because that's where the freedom of you and your grace is found. Let us boast all the more on our weaknesses because when we do, then you are strong. Because the testimony that people see about us It's not that we're perfect and we're great, but we were screw-ups and you made us into something that only you could. That we are constantly afraid, that we are constantly struggling and doubting, but because of you and your grace, here we stand. That is the beauty of the gospel. Not that we have to have everything figured out and be perfect, but we know the one that has everything figured out and is perfect, and that's you. Church, we, we end every gathering with the taking of communion. And if you're not yet a believer, th- then this might not mean anything to you. And we just ask that you just observe what's about to take place. But church, as we take communion today, as we break the body, which is represented by the bread, and we dip it in the blood, which is represented by the juice, Would we confess to him first where we've been acting? Would we confess to God where we are pretending, the secrets that we have lodged in our hearts that we don't want anyone to know? Would we first confess to him? Because we're all actors. We're all playing the part of something. So as you take communion this morning, would you first confess it to God? And as we pursue this week, as we go through this week, would we seek out others in this room and just have an honest conversation? Would we experience the freedom that can only be found in boasting in our weaknesses? Would we be a church not full of hypocrites, but full of friends? friends of God and friends of others. Let the pretending end and let the relationships begin. So Jesus, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for being so patient with us. Thanks for not giving up on us even though we act and we pretend like we've got it all figured out. Father, you are love for us. It's constant. It's pursuing us. It's loving us no matter what lies we try to spread. A a love like that, that we just can't understand, that we can't comprehend. God, you love us that much, the point of death on a cross. But that death didn't define you and that death didn't defeat you. But three days later, you rose. 
and you're seated at the right hand of the Father and you're looking over us in this room right now and calling us friends, calling us sons and daughters. So would this morning be a morning that we would quit pretending and we would start pursuing you. We would walk in our new identity. It's in your name we pray. Amen.